It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby! It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast, presented by BetOnline.ag, the online gaming website of choice for Evan and I on the Fantasy Feast Podcast. They get the best odds, the fastest payouts. Use code BIGFEAST. Speaking of big, we've got an epic MFL draft coming at the end of June, and you guys can be a part of it. I think we only got, Evan, one submission so far to be in the draft against us. It's Mike Dubner. He sent me a sponsor confirmation from 1-800-Flowers.com and an Amazon banner ad purchase, both of them over at RossTucker.com. Mike, you're in. You're the only person even tried to get in so far, so you're in. I don't know where everybody else is at. There's nothing more fun than being a part of these best ball drafts with Evan and I. So maybe it'll just be the three of us, Mike. I, I don't know. But congratulations, Mike, because you are in. Anybody else, you guys know what to do. Just take advantage of any of the sponsors over at RawSucker.com. Forward it to me and say, I want to take Evan down and you, Tucker, in the MFL draft in the month of June. Anyway, let's get to your rankings. Next meal. Next meal. All right, Evan. So let's start, first of all, with these rankings, your top 150 rankings, and mm-hmm. kind of how you went about putting this down on paper. Yeah, I mean, I've, doing, I've been doing this every year for about the last five years, uh, maybe even more. I don't know. I lose track of time. But um, I put out top 150 rankings – over the course of the off season, beginning in May, you know, going on into June, you know, a player will get signed. Brandon Marshall will that shake, th- shake things up. Guys will get hurt. Hunter Henry will tear his ACL. You know, I want to keep. And sometimes I'll just going through my own research. I will change my own opinions on players, and I'll bump guys up. And we'll talk about that a little bit uh, during this, but. This has become a very popular article. The updates have become very popular. I think people will want to hear about this. Um, and I will keep my top 150 list updated from May all the way into deep, you know, right up against week one. Got it. Okay. And so then let's start to dive into it a little bit, a little bit closer. Um, how do you think the first round of most fantasy drafts is going to go in terms of positions? Like, you think the top 10, first round, whatever, you think it'll be mainly running backs, receivers? What are you thinking? Right now I have eight of the first 12 picks. Some people play in 12-team leagues. Some people play in 10-team leagues. But for 12-team leagues, which is mostly what I play in, uh, eight of the first first 12 picks I have as running backs. Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, Kareem Hunt, Melvin Gordon. Um, those guys make up eight of my first nine first-round picks. And then Leonard Fournette is on the fringe at as my number 13 overall player. So I expect it to be a very running back heavy, heavy year, whether or not you are playing in um, 
PPR or non-PPR leagues, I think it's going to be a very running back heavy first round. We have a lot of workhorses in the NFL right now. It's, we've kind of returned to a little bit of a golden age of the workhorse running backs, running backs who are capable of playing on all three downs and that their teams don't want to pull out of the game. You know, four or five years ago, all the rage was the running back by committees, how they're taking over. A bunch of teams still use them, you know, with, with a lot of success, like especially the Patriots. But uh, I think that teams have also come to the realization that having a big-time back that you don't have to pull off the field in certain situations gives your offense more multiplicity, more dimensions, and you're less predictable because, you know, you're not pulling your running back off the field in passing situations and giving away, you know, telegraphing to the, the defense what you're going to do on a specific play. When you have Saquon Barkley, when you have Ezekiel Elliott, uh, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, you can run any play with those backs on the field. All right, so then that being said, mentioning those guys and how many in the golden age, what what's your biggest criteria when you're ranking like your top five backs? Team situation, you know, I want to see or I want to have running backs that are generally are, are that I think are going to play on good teams uh, that are going to be in positive game script situation. We know running backs get more carries when they're playing on teams that are winning. Uh, I, that also translates to, to touchdown upside. I certainly want to have guys who have a – I want to draft running backs high that have a chance to score double-digit touchdowns. I think that all those running backs we just discussed on down to Leonard Fournette as the number 13 overall player and number nine running back, all of those guys have double-digit touchdowns in their potential range of outcomes. Past production, are they proven? You know, I love Saquon Barkley – but am I going to put him ahead of Ezekiel Elliott or Alvin Kamara or David Johnson? You know, the answer is no. He's not yet proven in the NFL. So that does mean something to me. Uh, you know, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, all those guys have shown the ability to produce at extremely high levels. And that is a big data point for me, uh, past production. I like to look at schedules. Um, a lot of analysts, I think, don't like to look at schedules, but that's become a, a very key part of my process over the last couple of years as uh, you know, people have come up with better ways to evaluate uh, schedules and especially early season schedules. I mean, you have to understand that the fantasy regular season is only what weeks one through 12 or weeks one through 13, and then it's the fantasy playoffs. And then, you know, we don't even play in week 17. So I want to see my running. I mean, so that that narrows the, the window for how many games we're actually going to get. How many opportunities are we going to get to propel ourselves into the fantasy playoffs? I want to see a running back, ideally, that has a favorable schedule in the first five or six weeks. Run defense play does tend to carry over year to year. And... Um, the goodness of teams or the badness of teams does tend to carry over year to year. So if I, I would like to see my running back facing teams on his early season schedule that have either struggled in run defense 
or that are going to be bad because that increases the probability that my running back is going to be playing that game in positive game script. And then, of course, my idea of their talent, um, you know, that can be fungible year to year. I remember, you know, I thought Jeremy Hill was awesome after year one. And then we learned as the sample size grew, he wasn't that awesome. You know, so that's always going to be fungible, you know, uh, about 24 games before last season of Todd Gurley, he didn't look too great. But last year he did look great, and that's why he's my number one uh, fantasy running back, or a big part of why he's my number one fantasy running back for 2018. And receiving ability is huge. doesn't matter if, if, you're, if you're playing PPR or non-PPR. You know, guys that play in non-PPR leagues, they get points for the yards, in terms of receiving ability. I mean, Todd Gurley last year had almost 800 receiving yards. You know, that's a lot of points that you're missing out on if you're, you know, only taking a running back for hit, you know, for, because you play in a PPR league. Like, and also the fact that when teams get behind, you want to make sure that your running back is still on the field and still getting you points so he's not burying you as, you know, a two-down banger who's coming off the field when his team is losing and, you know, he finishes with 15 carries for 34 yards. That happened relentlessly last year with Jordan Howard in particular. He's not even in the game when the bill, when the bears were losing, it's Tarek Cohen, it's, you know, Benny Cunningham and Jordan Howard is putting you in really bad positions when his team falls behind. And that's why, you know, look, I really like Jordan Howard and I've been taking him in best ball, and I think that he is a back who has double-digit touchdown upside. But his consistency week to week and his ability to just bury you in a given week, that that really stings. And that's why I don't – I have him as the RB14 and not, you know, one of these top ten backs. What about the biggest riser in, in your rankings, Alex Collins? I mean, he's been he's been moving up the charts. You love you love you some Alex Collins. I had him at RB twenty four for most of the off season. We did some uh, running back tiers back in February, actually, and I had him in the mid or mid twenties among running backs. I recently moved him up to running back seventeen ahead of Kenyon Drake, right behind uh, Christian McCaffrey. So. I think that I was a little slow on Alex Collins because, number one, I thought that the Ravens might draft a running back. Um, and number two, I hadn't fully examined. And the, the fallout of the draft, I think, was significant because if he gets into a situation where Lamar Jackson is the quarterback for the Ravens and they have more, Marty Morningweg on staff and they have Greg Roman on staff, both, both coordinators who – or offensive coaches who have histories with uh, designing offenses to cater to dual threat running backs and have seen uh, dual threat quarterbacks and have seen the impact that a dual threat quarterback can have on the rushing game as a whole, like Tyrod Taylor with LaShawn McCoy or, you know, Colin Kaepernick with Frank Gore or, um, you know, Michael Vick with LaShawn McCoy. I mean, and we've seen it over the years with Robert Griffin III and Alfred Morris and you know, Vince Young and Chris Johnson. And, I mean, the, the lists go on and on of running backs 
or just running games that saw spike production as a result of having a dynamic dual threat quarterback. If Alex Collins can get into that, a situation like that, I think that his upside is very, very high. From week eight on last season, Alex Collins averaged over 19 touches per game. He continually saw more and more passing game work. The Ravens this year are getting back Marshall Yanda, one of the best run-blocking offensive linemen in football. During that, um, okay, so last year the Ravens had their Week 10 bye. After that, they strapped their offense to onto Alex Collins' back, and they finished 5-2. and two. They have not been like publicly committal that Alex Collins is going to be their feature back in 2018. And I think that Kenneth Dixon coming back does pose a little bit of a threat, and Buck Allen is still there. But one thing I don't want to miss the boat on is Alex Collins potentially being like a big-time NFL back. Because I think that based on having watched him, I think he's got a chance to be that. I mean, he was real, real good in the second half of last season. And I, at this point, I have more confidence in him than Kenyon Drake. I think that he's got an okay floor, but I think he's got really, really big upside. So you got Saquon Barkley, who, by the way, I just saw the pictures of him throwing out the first pitch. He... His legs, he is like a cartoon character, dude. It's straight up hilarious. Anyway, you have him ranked number six overall. Who are the highest ranked rookie running backs you have after him? Yeah, people love rookie. Love to talk about the rookie running backs every year, understandably so. I have Rashad Penny, Darius Geis, and Sony Michelle at RB19, RB20, and RB21, all right next to each other. Rashad Penny goes to a situation in Seattle where, theoretically, he could end up with 300-plus carries. He was incredibly efficient at San Diego State. When I watched him, I thought he reminded me of Carlos Hyde. The Seahawks think he's better in the passing game than his reputation. There are concerns. Um, The run-blocking state in Seattle, although, you know, they had some good – games in the second half of last year in terms of run blocking. I mean, Mike Davis showed up a little bit in the second half of the season. Um, and they, they sh- I think that they should be better. They have had a, a bunch of young players on their offensive line. But Rashad Penny, he is a volume projection pick. Uh, Darius Geis at RB20, his volume is not as high because he's definitely not going to play in the passing game because the Redskins have Chris Thompson. So that is the initial kind of, you know, obstacle that he is going to have to overcome. I think Darius Geis is a better talent than Rashad Penny. When I watched him play, I thought as a runner, he reminded me of of Ezekiel Elliott. And he is playing on a more stable offense. The Redskins, I know that they suffered a million injuries on the offensive line last year. But if those guys can somehow stay healthy this season and they can just get better injury fortune. I think that that offensive line should be pretty good. I mean, they have a bunch of some some good offensive linemen in Washington, especially you know Brandon Scherf and uh, and the two tackles Morgan Moses and Trent Williams at RB twenty one. Sony Michelle P 
people don't like to draft Patriots running backs, and I get it. You know, they, there is a stigma that they're difficult to predict. You know, the Patriots have scored more rushing touchdowns than any team in the league over the last six years, and it's not because Tom Brady's racking up a ton of rushing touchdowns. It's because this team scores a lot of touchdowns, period, and LeGarrette Blunt was a league winner in the 11th round in 2016, and last year Deion Lewis was a league winner uh, in the fantasy playoffs, and Rex Burkhead also had moments where he was usable, and Mike Gillsley did too early in the year. Um, Sony Michelle jumps into that Deion Lewis role. I think he could be an upgrade on that. Deion Lewis saw over 200 touches last season, um, so I think that Sony Michelle offers enough upside. I get why people are uncomfortable drafting him, but I think that in the right around the fourth, fifth round turn, that's when you start to look at Sony Michelle based very much on his ceiling in a high-scoring offense. Okay, so Brandon Marshall signs with the Seahawks. Is he relevant in any way? Well, the first thing I did is look at looked at how much he signed for, which I think was one year and two million. Which it's is, a maximum I mean, of it's a maximum of two million. So the question is, is he is he on the radar screen for your top one fifty? You know, or does he affect Baldwin or Lockett? I mean, the one thing I would say is, I feel like they got him because they don't have a big bodied receiver mm-hmm. and they don't really have a receiving tight end. I feel like he's almost gonna fill the Jimmy Graham role. So I'm just wondering if he could end up scoring a bunch of touchdowns. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if he's going to make the team because the one-year $2 million max, that is indicative of a minimum salary contract with maybe a very small signing bonus and incentives that can take it up to $2 million. So I'm not sure he's going to be guaranteed a roster spot. You know, will Amara Darbo beat him out? Um, they also signed Jerron Brown. Are those guys better options than Brandon Marshall? At this stage of his career, we haven't seen him play well since that one Ryan Fitzpatrick year. I believe it was in 2015. Seems like forever ago, but he was bad in 2016, wasn't very good in 2017, and then suffered a season-ending ankle injury. So as, as someone who's been a Tyler Lockett supporter this offseason as a late-round potential breakout player, it does give me some caution with regard to Tyler Lockett. I'm staying strong with with Doug Baldwin, and I'm probably not going to put Brandon Marshall into my top 150. Doug Doug Baldwin, as as we've spoken about on the feast, he's like my my favorite wide receiver to draft. I've drafted him in more best ball leagues than any receiver so far. He's he's on like over 40% of my teams, uh, and I have him as a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. I'm not going to change that for Brandon Marshall. Um, What about... What about Jarvis Landry? You have him as the number 34 wide receiver, 78th overall. Speaking of contracts, he's getting like $16 million a year. Yes, he is. Uh, my concerns with Jarvis Landry is that he's always been a very volume-dependent producer. Not big yards per catch. He's been in the league four years. Uh, he has never he scored a lot of touchdowns in one of those four years. Um, 
And he's been the focal point of the Dolphins' passing offense and a guy that you know Ryan Tannehill in particular has really, really fed with a lot of targets. Uh, and last year, you know, had a, another big volume year, but averaged like under nine yards per reception. So now he's going to Cleveland where Tyrod Taylor is expected to be the quarterback, at least to begin the season. And Tyrod Taylor has been a starter in the NFL for three seasons. His teams finished 32nd, 32nd, and 31st in the NFL in pass attempts. So we're not going to have as big of a receiving pie anymore, in all likelihood, in Cleveland. And then he's got some pretty stiff target competition. Uh, Josh Gordon, I think that his receiving skill set meshes better with Tyrod Taylor's game than does Jarvis Landry's. David Njoku is expected to take a step forward. You know, whether it be Corey Coleman or Antonio Callaway, they're going to have some explosiveness in that third receiver spot. You've got Duke Johnson, who has 50 or more receptions in every year he's played in the NFL. So that's suddenly a lot of target competition in a reduced passing pie. And then if you look back at the receivers that Tyrod Taylor has played with in three years in Buffalo, no Bills pass catcher ever topped 60 receptions in a season. I I think that Jarvis Landry is going to catch over 60, but I think it might be between like 75 and 85. And as a guy who doesn't average big yards per catch, doesn't typically typically score a lot of touchdowns, Jarvis Landry is like a terrifying pick for me as a guy who could fall from, you know, the 100-plus catches to the 75 to 85 catch range, and that's a huge, steep drop-off for a guy who does not make a ton of big plays because of the position that he plays and who, who historically has not scored a lot of touchdowns and whose game really, I don't think, is the best fit in his own receiver core for the quarterback play. Now, if the, the Browns do roll with Baker Mayfield, I think that that would be better for Jarvis Landry than Tyrod Taylor. But right now, Hugh Jackson's saying that it's an uncontested job, that, that it's going to be Tyrod Taylor's. So you got Jarek McKinnon as the number 13 running back. Uh, seems pretty aggressive. You've got, obviously, some notable backs ahead of him. Um, what is your overall confidence level in McKinnon? It seems like there's always these guys every year. There's a guy like this that we're really excited about. Sometimes they pan out. Sometimes they don't. Yeah, so I talked a little bit earlier about my running back criteria, and you know McKinnon misses the criteria of pass production. It's not like he has zero pass production, but his pass production hasn't been particularly strong. Even last year, probably his best season, he was still under four yards per carry. You know, he was still not totally fending off Latavius Murray in his own backfield for touches. So. That is a red flag, no question, and that's why he isn't ranked as a top 10 back. But, you know, I try to weigh the positives and the negatives for all these guys. Jarek McKinnon brings to the table a lot of receiving ability. That's maybe his strength as a running back right now. He's going to an offense under Kyle Shanahan, and Kyle Shanahan's past running back production 
it's really, really hard to quibble with that. I mean, from Arian Foster in Houston to uh, Alfred Morris in Washington to, you know, even Carlos Hyde last year setting a, a career high in receptions um, to Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman in Atlanta. I mean, the, the track record of Kyle Shanahan, to, you know, obviously in, in talking about his dad as well, the track record of Kyle Shanahan is – it, it, it boosts your confidence level for sure. And then you have Jimmy G, and I w- really want to attach my running backs when, when I can to quality quarterback play. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I thought, showed us that he is going to be a quality quarterback in the league, was acquired midseason, and was the quarterback seven from weeks 13 through 17 when he took over as a starter, and he faced a bunch of difficult opponents. I mean, he lit up the Jags. He lit up the Rams. Uh, he lit up an underrated Bears pass defense. You know, he. I, I'm a big believer in Jimmy Garoppolo. So I have a lot of trust in this 49ers offense. And Jerick McKinnon now is one of the eight highest paid running backs in the league. He's going to get every opportunity to be the 49ers feature back. And you look, you can look at his competition as well. Matt Breida. You know, there's some things to like about him. I think he does make sense in the Tevin Coleman role in that offense. Joe Williams, a guy who they liked coming out last year but didn't play as a rookie. They like essentially redshirted him. Um, Jeremy McNichols, who last year was with a fifth-round pick, got cut immediately by the Buccaneers. So the competition isn't very stiff. The offense is really what we're betting on here, and Jarek McKinnon's receiving ability and Kyle Shanahan's ability to hand-pick his own running back. I mean, there. at the end of the day, I think that there's just more things to like than to not like. The notable running backs that I have ahead of Jarek, that I have Jarek McKinnon ahead of right now are Jordan Howard, Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, and then Alex Collins. All right, then what about, let's get to Hunter Henry. You mentioned earlier the ACL tear, how much his rankings and obviously his rankings, but other rankings have been affected by this. By the way, I've, I've been playing on draft.com best ball leagues pretty much every day. Um, and Hunter Henry still goes in the eighth and ninth rounds. So there is an edge to be had in those leagues. I, I you know, th- it's, it's a good time to play. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I removed him from my own rankings. You can put your own personal rankings on a draft.com. But it seems that a lot of people have not. And he's still going in the middle of the rounds of drafts. He's not going to play this year due to a torn ACL. Uh, it solidified my confidence in Tyrell Williams as a late round pick. Usually like 14th, 15th, 16th round. Somewhere in that range. But I think that Tyrell Williams is more solidified as the number two opposite Keenan Allen and a guy that has now has a chance at more targets, particularly in the red zone. You had Antonio Gates and you have Hunter Henry gone from this offense now. And maybe Antonio Gates will come back. I'm not sure. We'll see. But those guys combined for 23 red zone targets last year. Tyrell Williams with his size should be a – viable red zone option he's been more of a deep threat run after catch guy to this point uh keenan allen i moved him from wide receiver six behind michael thomas 
to wide receiver five ahead of Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen was all, already a guy who was in line for positive touchdown regression. He uh, finished second in the NFL in red zone targets last year, but only scored four touchdowns on those 24 targets. Now I think he can even get more red zone targets. He's a candidate to lead the NFL in red zone targets, and he should be more efficient on his targets. And then it brought Virgil Green into the mix for me. I don't think I'm going to be drafting Virgil Green, but it elevated him from totally off the radar to like a top 30 tight end, which kind of does matter if you're playing like MFL 10s on fan ball. Um, He's not really in, in my range uh, for draft.com, no. Got it. Okay. Um, Deshaun Watson was the number one overall fantasy quarterback during his six starts last year. Wentz was number two behind mm-hmm. Russell Wilson before tearing his ACL and LCL. You have them as number six and seven. Are you just that that concerned about them coming off the injury? Yeah, a, a lot of people have been taking Deshaun Watson as the first or second quarterback off the board. So I'm, I think I'm real low on him relative to consensus. He was the he was the number. Or so he started weeks two through eight last year. He was the number one overall fantasy quarterback during that span by six points per game. There were a lot of factors that were working in his favor, though, and. Um, one of them is that, number one, the dual-threat quarterbacks have shown us a tendency to have a lot of early success and then kind of flame out. It happened with Colin Kaepernick. It happened with RG3. Um, there were signs of it happening last year with Dak Prescott. Okay? Russell Wilson has had staying power. You know, So it's not going to happen to every guy. Jake Locker had some some early success and then – sputtered out so I think that that is a concern is he not as good as he performed he performed above his head I mean he I think he clearly performed above his head because his touchdown rate was over was over nine percent and you know the only time that that is other otherwise happened in NFL history was Peyton Manning's 2014 year with the Broncos so his touchdown rate was incredible he was also placed on a team that was just cast into weekly shootouts because they lost their entire defense early on. I mean, J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless combined to miss, I think, 22 games. And those guys will both be back. So they're not going to have to keep their – the Texans are not going to have to keep their their foot on the gas, I think, as much this year. You have Deshaun Watson now returning from his second ACL tear in the last – four seasons uh, and the fact that he's probably going to be hit with some regression. I still have him very high. I think I have him as a second tier quarterback and as the quarterback six overall, and he's made six NFL starts. So to me that is high, but to a lot of people, it's not high enough based on where his ADP has gone. Carson Wentz is a little bit worrisome because I think that his rushing ability and his athleticism are big parts of his game, like bigger parts than I think that a lot of people realize. And, you know, I'm not sure he's going to have his full mobility for the first half of the season. 
That's that has been the thought of some medical experts. He tore his ACL and LCL in des- on December tenth, so he has like six or eight weeks less of recovery time than Deshaun Watson. The the Eagles kept Nick Foles when they were reportedly offered the number thirty five overall pick in the draft. That was a very high pick to offer for a guy who's really been a career backup. I realized that he won Super Bowl MVP and that upped his stock, but the Eagles showed some um, some caution, I think, by hanging on to Nick Foles and not accepting that pick. Again, I, I think that I have them high, but they go higher than I have them in early drafts. Yeah, I mean – it's 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 all about risk. I would also say, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about it with your guy Jim Sonis last week. Just the Texans O line, and yeah. I think there's I think there's reasons to be concerned for sure. What about um, what about just you know you talking about those guys and and the injury risk? What about any other guys that stand out to you as uh, a big risk to potentially be a bust? LaShawn McCoy stands out as, as a, a significant risk. You mentioned the interview with Jim Sonis. You know, the Texans had his worst-rated offensive line, and the Bills had a bottom-five offensive line in his ratings. And they lost Eric Wood and Richie Incognito and Cordy Glenn. And they're going to be rolling with guys, especially on the interior, who haven't played a lot in the NFL or when they have played have been ineffective um, I think that, you know, a lot of Buffalo fans were happy to see Tyrod go, uh, but w- without really realizing the effect that he had, you know, is he a great passer? No, you know, we know that he's not even a top 20 passer in the NFL, but there were aspects that he brought to the game. And this is why the bills finished top 12 in scoring in each of his two first two seasons as a starter. There were aspects that he could he could impact your running game, and he can impact your offense as a whole. And LaShawn McCoy, you know, he's going from Tyrod Taylor as a dual threat quarterback to AJ McCarron, who is the antithesis of Tyrod Taylor. Josh Allen does have some athleticism, but he wasn't really like I mean he and he made some crazy throws on the run at Wyoming, but he wasn't really a scrambler. Um, and then last year, you know, I think it's concerning that LaShawn McCoy averaged 3.97 yards per carry, the worst of his career, and he's going to be 30 years old. Um, the, the one thing that I do like about LaShawn McCoy is that, I mean, I'm not convinced that he's, you know, he's out of gas or anything like that. But, you know, even though there, there is at least one minor indication that that could be the case, but the, the thing that I do like about LaShawn McCoy is how much projected volume he should get. Brian Dayball comes in, replaces Rick Dennison as the Bills' offensive coordinator. Brian Dayball has been a coordinator for four NFL offenses. Three of them, three of the four, finished top six in rushing attempts. Last year's Bills finished top four. So, and, you know, the, the backup for him now is Chris Ivory, who he didn't look very good in Jacksonville last season they easily moved on after the year I don't think he's a significant threat to LaShawn McCoy's workload so I do still find myself taking LaShawn McCoy at times in this in the late second and early third rounds but I've 
I've backed off doing so the more I've examined his situation. And he's someone that I would prefer to let other people draft. Nothing better when it comes to next meal and talking about your rankings than immediately talking about omahasteaks.com. Father's Day, just around the corner. Evan's a big dude who likes to eat. I'm a big dude who likes to eat. And we love when we can eat awesome food for way, way less than it should actually cost. I think this is what they call a loss leader, you know, or the um, early price of acquisition cost of a new. I, I don't know what it is, but just take advantage of it. You get here, here's what you have to do: you go to Omaha Steaks, seventy eight percent off, seventy eight. Go to OmahaSteaks.com, type feast in the search bar, and you get this Father's Day package for yourself, for your dad, or father in law, whatever, grandpa, two tender filet mignons two beefy top sirloins, four chicken fried steaks, two boneless pork chops, four all-beef Omaha steak burgers, four gourmet jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all-beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus Get four more grill-ready Omaha Steak Burgers free with purchase. Again, get this limited-time package for only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com, type feast in the search bar, and add Father's Day package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com, type feast in the search bar, grab your dad, and fire up the grill. Ever wanted to ask an NFL player a question? Well, here's your chance. It's time to Ask Ross. And Evan. And really, if you send an email question for the Fantasy Feast podcast, you're really asking Evan. All you got to do is take advantage of any of our sponsors, like betonline.ag using the code BIGFEAST, or like Omaha Steaks, I was just telling you guys about. All right, here's what we got, Evan. Hi, Ross. Been listening to your Ross Tucker football podcast and Fantasy Feast podcast for a few years now, but this is my first question for you. I used your Amazon banner ad to purchase some gifts on Amazon for my wife for her first Mother's Day. That is awesome. Congratulations. My question is for you and Evan on the Feast podcast. This past year, my league of record disbanded and I joined a new money league. The new league had the biggest buy-in I have ever played. Ten teams, $100 each. Well, thanks in part to your advice, I was able to win the league. Unfortunately, this league works on the not-so-honor system. The money was never collected up front, and so far, I have yet to be paid out by anyone except my friend who invited me to join the league. The commissioner won't do anything about it, and I have been waiting to collect my winnings for about four months now. My question, what is the proper protocol for someone in my position? I don't want to make a huge deal out of it. I'm not that desperate for the money, but I have always paid the champ in every league I have ever played in, and I should get what I earned. What do you guys think 
That's from John. He's a Niners fan, Evan, north of the border in Ontario. What do you think? Um, I have played in leagues where it took where I won the league and then it took me longer than four months to receive the payout, like with college buddies who you know, didn't really have a whole lot of money and they had to wait until the summer to get their summer job to, to pay off you know, the money. They weren't keeping it like in an escrow. Um, so I don't know all the back story behind that. Um, but I, it's it's an integrity issue, and I certainly would never play in that league again if I didn't get my final payout. You know, um, I, I would you know I would ask the friend who recommended you to play in this league. What's the deal? You know, what what's going on? I mean, you you deserve to get your money. You won the league. You guys all you know put your money up for grabs and, and you deserve to get that money in the end. Absolutely. I, I understand that you don't necessarily need the money, but you deserve the money. You know, even if you're just taking the money and giving it to charity, like that is your money now and you deserve to, to receive it. I feel like part of why they're not paying him might be because he's new to the league, you know, like, and, they, and, and these other guys don't know him. That's not okay. I mean, they can't do that league again this year until they all pay you first, um, number one. Number two, it's just not cool. I mean, man up. Don't be in a, don't be in a big ball or $100 each league if you can't pay it. It's totally cool if you're not in the league. But if you're going to be in that league, then you have to pay. Um, John, my advice is probably not legal, so I'm probably not going to give it here. But <laughs> it does involve – a ski mask and a baseball bat, but that's for another story. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll leave it at that. That'll do it. That was a good way to end this week's fantasy feast. Send in those emails, take advantage of any of our sponsors and send them in. And Evan will give you horrible advice, like putting on a ski mask and breaking people's legs with baseball bats. Evan, that's terrible. You should not do that for just a hundred dollars. I really don't, respect that anyway oh, send in the emails I, I will wear the ski mask there you go i'm a big ski mask guy big ski mask guy anyway twitter and facebook we love when you guys spread the word we love when you rate and review the show it all helps i'm totally stuffed we're done thanks for listening to the fantasy feast podcast make sure to also subscribe to the ross tucker football podcast even money and the college draft podcast all available on itunes at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found so if you like this show take a gamble on rj bell's dream preview each week on podcast one sportsnet get everything you need on the biggest games each week from pregame.com's wise guy roundtable with host rj bell on some of the biggest names from the world of sports betting. Check out RJ Bell's Dream Preview at Podcast One Sportsnet and Apple Podcasts. Also remember to rate and review.